Good morning. Make me feel lonely up here. My goodness. <laughs> you know, when we uh, thought about today, we thought about really wanting all people to feel welcome here. We realize that there's many people who this is either your first time entering into a church or you haven't been to church in a really long time, and we're glad that you took a bold move and came. We realize that um, you could be skeptical and you could doubt uh, a lot of things, and so we're glad that you're here. We're, you really are welcome here. Uh, also, too, we don't expect you to come in riding the resurrection high if that's not where you're at. If you are lacking joy in your life, you're discouraged, you're welcome here. We believe there's something here for you today. You can come as you are if you're discouraged and downtrodden. But also, if you're ready to celebrate, if this is the highlight of your year, you love the resurrection of Jesus, we're glad you're here and you're welcome here as well. Amen. This morning, I, I want to look at the resurrection of Jesus from John chapter 20, and I want to encourage you, wherever you're at, whether you're doubting and skeptical, whether you're downtrodden and discouraged, or whether you're ready to dance and celebrate, I want to encourage you to look again. Look again at the resurrection of Jesus. I have three children, all girls, which means I am surrounded and drowning and swimming in the colors of pink and lavender all the time. Uh, there are princess dresses all over my house. And not only that, but there are shoes everywhere. I'm not kidding you, there are shoes everywhere. And we've tried to do our best to organize them, but it has not worked. And what happens is there's shoes everywhere but whenever we want to leave the home, we can't seem to get our act together and find the right shoes. Children, get your shoes on. Well, all of a sudden, they can only find one shoe. They can't find the other matching shoe. And if you're a parent, you know this is some kind of problem and situation that we all face. So we go around the house and we look for shoes. Now, we've just resigned with my third child that as long as she has two shoes on, it doesn't matter if they're two left feet, it doesn't matter if one's brown and one's blue, we're just fine with two shoes. But for my older children, they want to match. They want the shoes to match. And so they find the one shoe that they want, and then we have to go around and look for the other shoe. And they never find it, you know? Someone stole it. It's missing. I don't know where it is. And so my wife and I have to get involved in this process and go searching with them for this other shoe. And inevitably, it's somewhere incredibly obvious. And rather than finding it for them, what we do is we go and stand right near the shoe and we call the children in and we say, what color shoe are you looking for? And they'll tell us and we say, do you see it anywhere around here? And they, they kinda, <laughs> they do, you know, they don't know where they're going. We say, look again. Look again, right down here. And they go, oh, oh, there it is. It wasn't there before. Look again, and they find it. Today, I, I, I want to invite you to look again, to look again at the resurrection. Earlier, together, we recounted the Jesus story in the Apostles' Creed, that 2,000-year-old creed that Christians have recounted, the true story of Jesus' incarnation, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his, his ascension, up into heaven. And as I said earlier, I know some of you are coming and maybe you kind of feel tricked into coming to church on Easter. Someone dragged you with, dragged them, dragged you with them, and you're skeptical. You're skeptical of the story. You're skeptical of the church. You're skeptical of Jesus and the Bible. And I, I want to challenge you. Look again this morning. Look again. 
And if you're discouraged and downtrodden, I mean, you love the Lord, but you're struggling. You're hurting. I want to invite you to look again this morning at the story of the resurrection. And if you're here ready to celebrate, you're excited, you are riding that resurrection high, I want to invite you too to look again. I think there's more for you. Jesus was crucified on the cross on a Friday night, and he was rushed through the burial process and put in the tomb on Friday night in order that he might be buried before Saturday, the the Sabbath. And on the third day, we recall the story of him rising from the dead from John chapter 20. I want to actually read the whole story to you from John chapter 20. It's 31 verses, but I I think you can hang, can't you? Can you hang for that? Okay. So let me pray, and then we'll read God's word. Father God, I pray that you would open our eyes and open the eyes of our hearts that we might be able to see Jesus in a fresh way. That as we look again at this story that we've heard before, might it bring new things, new power, new realities into our life. And all God's people said, John chapter 20, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb, so she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one who loved Jesus, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first, stooping down. He saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen clothes lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head, Jesus' head, was not lying with the linen clothes, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first then also went in, saw, and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. But Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. And as she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken my Lord. They've taken my Lord away, she told them. And I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. When it was evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. They feared the Jewish Sanhedrin and the rulers of the temple would come after them. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. 
So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, called twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. But he, Thomas, said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. A week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. And even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus performed many other miracles in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The Word of God. As we sit in this chapter this morning, we're going to look at the experiences of different people encountering the resurrection of Jesus and what happens when they look again. What happens when they look again? The first person we're going to look at is Thomas. Thomas, doubting Thomas. Thomas has gotten a bad rap throughout church history because Jesus appeared to the 11 disciples, but, or, I'm sorry, the 10 disciples, and Thomas was the 11th, and he was not there. And he said, I will never believe unless I can touch and see. Now, Thomas gets a bad rap when people are encouraged to believe God. Others say, don't be a doubting Thomas. But there's something actually in Thomas that I think is commendable. Thomas wanted a Jesus that he could see and touch. Thomas didn't want just a spiritual event. Thomas wanted a spiritual event that was physical. He wanted a Jesus that he could see with his own eyes and he could touch with his own hands and he could put his hands into the wounds and in Jesus' hands and Jesus' side. I think some of what Thomas wants is actually commendable and maybe it's there in the story to actually engage us in our questions. Maybe Thomas's doubts are in the story so we can admit that at times we have doubts. We wonder. We want a Jesus that we can see and touch. Thomas says, listen, this event that you're talking about, Jesus raised from the dead, it is unbelievable until I can see it. I want to see the miraculous physical appearance of the resurrected Jesus in order for me to believe. And I think what Thomas is inviting us into is to come with our doubts to the story of the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, this whole story is really for people who are going, I don't think this could happen. I don't think the resurrection of Jesus is possible. This story that John puts in there is to engage us in our doubts. In fact, 
Everyone in the story doubts until they see the empty tomb or the physically resurrected Jesus. No one believes until Christ appears to them or they see the empty tomb. Mary Magdalene has gone to the tomb and she doesn't go in the tomb, but she sees the stone rolled away. And in her mind, what she thinks is grave robbers. Grave robbers rolled the tomb away and they took the body of my Lord. She doesn't bother to go into the tomb. She runs and tells the other disciples. Peter and John receive the news. They sprint ahead, go back to the tomb. John gets there first. He goes to the tomb. He doesn't enter in. He looks down and he sees not the body of Jesus, but the linens that covered the body of Jesus. Peter quickly arrives after him. And like Peter does, he doesn't wait. He boldly enters into the tomb and he sees the same thing. He sees the linens of Jesus' body, but Jesus' body was not in the linens. And with the information they have from Mary Magdalene, they're thinking, could this have been grave robbers? But if it was grave robbers, why would they leave the linens there? I mean, grave robbing was an illegal activity. It did happen, but it was like a bank robbery. Get in and get out. Why would you leave the linens there if you were in a hurry doing an illegal activity? But secondly, even if you did strip the linens off the body, wouldn't you just cut them off? Wouldn't you just throw them on the ground and then leave as quickly as you can? Why would you unwrap them and then refold them? I mean, wrapping a dead body in this day took some time. You had to prepare it with spices and perfumes. And then the body was tightly bound in linens. It was not a quick process. And it wouldn't have been a quick process to unravel it. And as Peter and John see what they thought might have been grave robbers, but then they see the empty tomb and they see the linens that cover Jesus' body, but there's no body of Jesus, it clicks. And they believe. And they believe. They doubt until they saw. And when they look again, they believe. The story doesn't sweep the preposterousness of it under the rug. It deals with the fact that this is really a resurrection, and that's a radical claim. The account engages the doubts of the readers. The the account engages our doubts, and even Jesus in the story engages the doubts of those in the story. Jesus appears a week after he appears to the disciples when Thomas was not there. Seven days later, Jesus shows up, and Thomas is there. Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger here. You want a Jesus that you can see and touch. I know that you did not believe. Go ahead. Put your finger in the hole in my hand. Reach out your hand and put it in my spear-pierced side. The story engages our doubts, but the Jesus in the story engages the doubts of those in the story. And Thomas responds to Jesus, who has engaged him in his doubts by saying, my Lord, my God. When Thomas was presented with a Jesus that he could see and touch, it clicked for him. And he knew it was true. It was true, and when Thomas calls Jesus God, Jesus does not deny him, because Jesus is God. 
Jesus says to Thomas in the following verses, Thomas, you believe because you have seen me, but blessed are those who have not yet seen, but believe. Blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet believe. You know, we're in a different spot than those first disciples were. Uh, We want a Jesus that we can see, and we want a Jesus that we can touch. But a lot of times, people who are skeptical of Christianity say that Christianity is based on blind faith. And that's not at all what John is trying to communicate in this passage. John is trying to communicate to us that the story is littered with doubts and impossibilities and a radical nature of the resurrection. It's hard to believe. And the people in the story have a hard time believing it. But the call to us is to have a confidence in the reasonable witness of the people in the story who doubted, who doubted. We're called this morning to look again at the testimony of those who doubted and said, I cannot believe unless I see and touch. And then they got to see and they got to touch. You see, what's interesting about the disciples being the witnesses who saw the story is they're not really great spokespeople. If I want to sell you a product, I'm going to get the best looking, most polished person who has the the most clout with you and I'm going to get them in front of you and sell the product or sell the story. But that's not at all what happens in this story. These are just common fishermen. In fact, during the story, they're not very brave at all. When Jesus goes to the cross, they run and hide. Why would you share that about yourself unless it's what actually happened? Not only that, but the the first witnesses of the resurrection are women. Now, that might not mean much to you today, but back at that time, women could not testify in court. It took two men to hold a testimony as true. Yet John writes that women are the first person to see the resurrection of Jesus. It's crazy to put if you're trying to sell a story unless it's actually what happened, unless it's actually what happened. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians about all the different people who saw Jesus. Paul writes, For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are alive, but some have fallen asleep. Some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one to born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me, says Paul. Paul was one who hated Christians and hated the Christian faith, and yet he makes this claim that seeing the physically resurrected Jesus radically changed his life. Not only that, but we're up to at least 520 people who have seen the resurrected Jesus. And Paul writes to Corinth saying, if you don't believe me, I can introduce you to them. You can meet the people who saw Jesus alive. The story is meant to engage us in our questions and our doubts, to make us look again and say, we get it. We get that this is hard to believe 
but it's true. Jesus really did come back from the dead. And John writes this, this story for us so that we would believe. He wants to engage us and say, I get that you doubt, but your doubts don't mean it didn't happen. It did happen. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Just like Thomas, John's hope is that you would kneel down before Jesus and say, my Lord and my God. Because the resurrection story is for doubters. Rosaria Butterfield was a tenured professor of English at Syracuse University. And uh, she didn't really like Christians. She thought the Bible was unbelievable. She wasn't interested in church. She had a really good career teaching English at Syracuse. And then she began to encounter Christians and have conversations with them and found out that they were a little bit different than she had thought. And then she began to read the Bible. And she approached the Gospels, the story of Jesus, through this lens of being an English professor. And she tore it up. She read it. She analyzed it. She thought about it. And what she came to the conclusion of is this story is so bizarre. And the way it's told, it, it, it's so exposing of the authors. And there's so many details in there. And it acknowledges the real situations and real doubts of people that it must be true. It must be true. And as Rosaria Butterfield continued to read the scripture and interact with believers and wrestle with the fact that if I say I believe this is true, my career is over, she came to the only conclusion she could. The resurrection happened. And I've got to own it. It changed everything. It took her doubts and it engaged them. It made her into a believer. And Rosaria Butterfield healed and said, my Lord and my God. And she's been a Christian for some years now. I would encourage you to read her book. It's called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. It's really an amazing story. This is what we believe as Christians. And I know many of you have questions and doubts. You've got a lot of questions, and that's okay. You've heard what the scripture teaches, and there's room for us to engage with you. Uh, we're talking this summer about putting together a little gathering where you can have space to ask questions. You can have space here at the church to to talk about what you believe. And so if you're interested in that, let me know. We also have Gospels of John in the back. I would really encourage you, if, if that's you, you're like, I'm skeptical, I'm doubting. I would encourage you just to take a Gospel of John home with you and read it. You could read it this afternoon in just a couple hours and see if it doesn't engage you. See if it doesn't tell you to look again. Because when you bring the doubts that you have to the empty tomb, you'll find that it's actually quite reasonable when you understand what the text is trying to tell you. But maybe that's not you. Maybe you're not the doubter. Maybe you're not the skeptic. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're downtrodden. Maybe life has beat you up. John and Peter leave the tomb, and Mary Magdalene's there. She's outside crying. She hasn't yet looked into the tomb. She's just weeping outside the tomb. Now, Mary Magdalene had been a woman that was possessed by seven different demons, and Jesus healed her. As a woman who was possessed by demons, she would have been a social outcast. But she interacts with Jesus and she finds out she's in his inner circle. When all the disciples had ran away and scattered, she had stayed at the foot of the cross and watched her Lord be crucified. 
And so you can imagine the pain, you can imagine the emotional loss that she's feeling as she gets to the tomb, still believing that maybe his body has been taken. And she stands outside and she weeps. Tears roll down her cheeks. And some have said in Mary's tears are the whole world's tears. In Mary's tears are the whole world's tears. The tears of living in a broken world, the, the sobbing from no hope, the weeping over lost loved ones, broken hearts, loneliness, despair, the struggles to believe God and that inner sense of shame that we all carry around in us. And Mary's tears are all our tears. And we can relate to her tears with the discouragement and the despair that we often feel. But as, even as Mary stands at that tomb weeping, we're tempted to whisper to her, Mary, look again. Mary, look again. Kneel down and look in that tomb. Wipe the tears from your eyes and look into that tomb and see what's there. Mary, what do you see? What do you see, Mary? Look again. Angels there to comfort her. Mary cries out, still in grief, they've taken my Lord. But you and I say to her, Mary, look again. Look again, turn around, there's someone behind you. Mary turns around, and it's Jesus. She doesn't know it's him, and she says, Gardener, please, if you've taken the body of my Lord, please tell me where he is so I can take him. And you and I say to Mary, look closer, Mary. Look closer, look again. Someone is about to call your name. And at that moment, Jesus says, Mary. Mary. And Mary looks again and sees her resurrected Lord. Teacher, she cries out. And all of a sudden, Mary's tear-filled eyes are full of unbridled hope. Mary, your Lord is risen from the dead. Jesus is alive. You and I experience death and despair, problems and pain, loss and loneliness, sin and separation. But I want to tell you, in the midst of all that, all that's real, look again. Look again. Because if you look again, you'll see an empty tomb. And if you look again, you'll see a risen Lord. And if you look again, you'll see a resurrected Jesus who calls his sheep by name. And maybe, just maybe, Jesus is inviting you to look again in the midst of your problems and pain, in the midst of your shame, and in the midst of your despair. Maybe he's inviting you to look again and see the world through the resurrection, to grab hold of new hope and, be, and live in this broken world as a person who's full of hope because the deepest problem that humanity encounters has been defeated. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and defeated death. And if you look again at the empty tomb, and you look again at the risen Lord, and you look again at the resurrected Jesus who calls his sheep by their name, it will give you perspective on all your problems. Your problems will not go away. 
I'm going to tell you that right now. Your problems will not go away, but you will begin to see your problems in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In light of the fact that our king has defeated death, he has reconciled us to God, he has given us new life, and he has stomped on the grave. We begin to see our problems through the lens of the resurrected Jesus And hold on to him. But like Mary holds on to Jesus, Jesus says, Mary, uh, don't cling to me since I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to, the, to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. You see, when we see things through the lens of the resurrection, it changes everything. I'm alone. No, you're not. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, you have a father who loves you. My heart's broken. Yes, it is. But because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, you have a God who heals wounds and covers over your shame. The world is messed up beyond repair. It is a messed up, broken place. But you have seen the risen Jesus who has defeated death. Mary wants to cling on to Jesus, and Jesus symbolically says, listen, you can't cling to me forever because I'm about to ascend to the right hand of God where I will rule and reign in power, and one day I will return, and I will make all things new, and I will wipe every tear from your eyes, and there will be no more pain and no more crying. So let me go, Mary. See me, though, the resurrected Jesus. And in John 20, verse 18, she returns to the disciples and just says, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the risen King. I have seen Jesus resurrected from the dead. And if you're in the midst of discouragement, if you're feeling stomped on and downtrodden by life, I want to encourage you to look again. Look again. And like Mary, come to the place where you can say, I have seen the Lord. Because when you see the Lord in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your discouragement, it puts new wind in your sails. It gives you a new vibrancy. And you'll cry. You'll still cry, but you'll cry with hope. You'll cry with a sense of hope. There's the doubter. There's the discouraged, but there's also the dancer. Uh, maybe you're a dancer who pranced in here this morning. Jesus is alive. You are excited. You are ready. You are ready to celebrate and party. But the question is for us, what do we do when 12 p.m. hits and we're all dismissed and we go home? What do we do? Is there a purpose after the party? To that, we're called look again. Look at the mission and purpose that Jesus gives his disciples. Having said this, Jesus showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord and Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And after saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. 
And if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Jesus is telling them and telling us that there is a purpose after the party. That we, in a world full of war and division, we have the peace of Jesus. And we are people who have new life in us in a world where everybody is searching for something new. We're good news people in a bad news world. In a world that's tired and weary, we have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. In a world that's full of technology and communication and information that has not fixed the broken world, we have the forgiveness of God in Christ. Look, we're not perfect people. We can be full of shame, we can hide, we can be guilty. But we have the message of Jesus Christ. That our sins are fully forgiven because of what he has done on the cross. And just as Jesus rose to new life from the grave, so we have new life bursting out of us. And so we don't come just once a year to celebrate. Rather than that, we live every day as people who are sent with a purpose. We have the message of Jesus. We're in the city, in the mess, with the message. We've been past the torch. Not to be resurrection people just once a year, but every day of the year. I heard a story of a pastor who was in Italy, and he saw this grave, this grave in the ground. And the grave was split open, and this huge oak tree was coming out of it. Evidently, when this person was buried in the grave 100 years ago, a small little acorn fell into that tomb. Life in the midst of death. But a hundred years later, that small little acorn had burst into a huge oak tree that had split the tomb open and brought life in the midst of death. We are messed up and broken people. We have the scent of death all around us. But because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, we are people who have resurrection life in us. Much like that acorn in the grave, the message of Jesus is new life in a broken world. And as that springs in us and grows in us, we together become resurrection people bringing life just like that oak tree in the midst of darkness and death. In the midst of darkness and death. Friends, we have a calling. And it's to spread the love of God in Jesus Christ and make it visible in our city. But that isn't done in our own power. That's done in the power of the resurrection of Jesus that is alive in you and in so this morning, wherever you're at, I want to encourage you to look again. Look again at the resurrection of Jesus. If you're doubting, there are reasonable answers in the story. If you're discouraged, look again at the empty tomb and risen Lord. 
And if you're here and excited and ready to dance and celebrate, look again. We carry this message not just one time a year, but every day. We're sent into our city with the message of the resurrected Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we worship you as the risen king. We rest in what you've done. We ask for your power to be present with us. God, we all struggle in many ways. For those who are wondering if you're real and if you're alive, would you reveal yourself to them? And for those who are downtrodden and discouraged, might they get a fresh picture of you risen from the dead? And for those of us that are tired and weary and just trying to survive, Lord, would you give us a sense that you have a much greater purpose for us to reach the city with new life? And all God's people said, amen.